the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Welcome back to the hot seat. It's Bobby Goldstein. Hey, what's happening? Well, Today's guest, Debbie Whitehead, who's mm-hmm. also on the Big Silence Board of Directors, That's had a right. special request because you've kind of been missing from the intros lately. I know. And Debbie was here. She lives up in Plano, um, close to Dallas, and drove down to do the podcast. And when she got to the house, while well, covered in Pomeranians, mm-hmm. she said, I have one request. I would like... Bobby Goldstein to do my intro. So and here we are. I'll let you take it. Oh, well, Debbie's the best. Mm-hmm. She's great. So if she wants me to do the intro, I'm going to do the intro. And, oh, wait, you want me to lead this conversation? Yeah, this is your intro. Oh, well, I mean, what can you say about <laughs> Debbie? Her and her husband have come to multiple events on the board, speaking her story, and she's just like a real pleasure to be around, so... I feel good when she's around. I know. And she yeah, always like brings and, gifts. Yeah, and happy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Debbie, you know, you listen to every podcast. And we just appreciate you so much and being on the board of directors. And Debbie's also working with us for our youth programming and something she is passionate about, which we talk about on the podcast as well. And yeah, shout out to Debs. Mm-hmm. That's right. Keep bringing the positivity. Maybe less squeaky toys for the palms. Mm-hmm. Debbie Testa Bianco in Italiano. Mm-hmm. You know how I learned this? What? This is a side note. I like this. <laughs> so, have you ever heard of a Ferrari Testarossa? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, in the 90s, the Testarossa was, was a sweet car. And all of a sudden, the other day, like, I never really thought about it. Like, Testarossa, I know Rosa's red in Italian. Well, it means redhead. And I was like, well, Ferrari Testarossa, redhead. So, the... The valve covers in the engine bay okay. are red. Mm-hmm. And so they named the car after that. I was like, oh, okay. So, but then when Debbie Whitehead, Bianco, it's white. So <laughs> it's going to be a test of Bianco. 
Debbie Testabianco. Okay, Bella. not sure Ciao, what Bella. all that was. But That's how enjoy. my brain works. That is how my brain works. <laughs> Ooh, well, Debbie, I hope you enjoyed um, having Bobby Goldstein on as your intro. But Bravo. En- enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Remember to always share it. Uh, leave a comment, like, and um, head over to thebigsilence.com. Oh, South by Southwest is coming up. Mm-hmm. And we are doing events at Collective in Austin. So make sure you sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch of how we can all hang out together. We're doing workouts. We're doing panels. The Big Silence Bus will be there. And we're looking at March 16th and 17th. Mm So, um, yeah. Well, you better put in my calendar to replace those batteries because that thing ain't moving right now. Can't even jump it. Okay, I'll put that in your calendar. All right, enjoy the pod. All right, Debbie Testabianco. Ciao. (laughs) So, welcome to the podcast, Debbie White. Thank you so much, Karina. It's such an honor to be here. I'm thrilled. Thank you. Well, it's been an honor to have you be a part of the big silence as our board member, as a licensed counselor and therapist, and just getting to know you. And so we met back in 2017, yeah? Yeah. Yes, I have proof. Yeah, you were touring with Tone It Up, Mm -hmm. and my daughter and I have followed you for a really long time. I want to say pretty much the beginning of Tone It Up, when you had your Bravo show and uh, watched all of them. Yeah, I live vicariously through my kids, by the way. Just throw that out there. (laughs) And so, yeah, I got to meet you, and... I have the best picture where I'm just like holding on to you and had to give you a big hug. And it just blows my mind that now I would be sitting here with you and working with you on something that I'm so passionate about, mental health, as you've created the big silence. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. It's incredible. And it's a full circle moment for me. Yeah, and I love that. We met through Tone It Up and your daughter. Shout out. Yeah, um, <laughs> the fifth flamingo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now you're here and we're doing so many cool things together, which we can talk more about through our youth programming, which you focus a lot on youth and your Definitely. your counseling and your programming. And so Debbie lives in Dallas. Mm-hmm. I live in Plano. So Plano. it's about, yeah. yeah I would but, say yeah. I'm like a more a little... No, I always say Dallas, actually. My husband says Plano, but yeah, we live in Plano. Yeah, so it was so interesting as we've gotten to know you. So you reached out to Rachel, or you and Rachel, our executive director at the foundation, and a.k.a. my sister, (laughs) started DMing each other and just Mm -hmm. getting to know each other and becoming friends there and like making this full circle connection. And now you've been here in Austin with us a few times. Yeah. I'm Which, so grateful. Yeah. I mean, you're fun. I mean, we were, last time we hung out was one, it was in one day we went from breath work with Gwen Dittmar. That was life-changing actually. Yeah. Yeah. And that was on a Saturday and then we spent the night and went to Slate Theory or yeah. Slate no, Winery. The same. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You spent the night here and then the next day was World Mental Health Day and yes, yeah, you guys came up to Slate Theory Winery yeah. in Fredericksburg. And there was something that we talked about after breathwork because breathwork can really open up yeah. it's a lot of voice and thoughts. And you shared something about your trauma background. Yeah. Because in yeah. your work now, you do a lot of trauma therapy. Definitely. Yeah. 
I've been a counselor. Actually, this year will be 30 years that I've been a licensed professional counselor. And I've had my own trauma. And I always say I'm a survivor. Well, actually, I say I'm a thriver, not Mm -hmm. just a survivor Mm -hmm. of childhood sexual abuse. And so the day we did the breath work was another growing opportunity for me. I feel like I've, I'm have i on this lifelong journey of healing. I think mm-hmm. healing is always a journey, and it's lifelong. But that day when we did the breath work, it was—I'm always working on using my voice because mm-hmm. I was actually sexually molested by my dad, and it was my biological dad. Sometimes you kind of hear it's a stepdad, it's an uncle, it's a grandfather, but it was my biological dad. And I was molested by him for eight years of my childhood. And so, yeah, it was very painful, very painful time. And so you didn't realize that until later in life. And there was a sign that reminded you, and then you went back to those memories. Yeah, it was actually a newspaper. So I was in, let's see, I was in my second year of college. I'd gone to a private art school in Atlanta, Georgia for like a year. And then some things happened in my family. So I moved back home, ended up transferring to the University of Florida in Gainesville. I grew Mm -hmm. up in Southwest Florida. And so there was, I believe it was like a Saturday or a Sunday morning, and I was sharing an apartment with my childhood best friend. His name's Kenny, and we were sharing an apartment together for a few months, and I just happened to open up the newspaper that morning, and on the front page was a psychologist that was working with college-age girls that had been sexually abused. And I shared the story that it was like a flood of emotions was like a tsunami that just hit me. I had repressed everything that had happened from the second grade until the 10th grade. That's Mm -hmm. when I was sexually molested by my dad. I had repressed my experience and my emotions for four years, like literally didn't think about it at all for four years. And so that morning when I opened up the newspaper and saw the psychologist working with these college girls, these college-aged girls, I was like, I looked at my friend Kenny and I said, this happened to me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there's no way. Like, I mean, we're talking elementary school friend, yeah. like family friend, not just an acquaintance. Yeah. So he's been with you day to day, like best friend, like through and through. And like, you never talked about anything. Never. I'd never shared it with any of my friends no family member, no one. And so, yeah, it was that day that it just, it came back to me. I ended up being in bed for like three days because I was so traumatized. Yeah. So going back to then as a kid for, of course, we have these conversations. They're not always easy. Yeah. But it's for others to hear and feel like they're not alone, hear that this happens. But can we talk about repression? Yeah, definitely. Repression is our brain's way of protecting us. And I knew those four years, as I look back, it was such a time of transition. Like, I didn't feel safe. And I think when we repress our emotions, we don't feel safe, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we, we don't feel protected. We don't feel like I have the right people maybe in my life or the right tools, possibly. For me, it was help because I ended up going to see that psychologist who wrote that article. Oh, wow. Yeah, he saw me for several sessions and connected me to a support group. 
It was amazing. And so now as I look back, I go, oh my gosh, my brain had been protecting me for those four years. And that's what repression does. Repression is our brain's way of saying, I got you. I'm going to take care of you until you can open up about this. It's so interesting too with repression and it can be so many different instances because even Rachel and I, when Rachel's in town in Austin or when she would come out to California, we'll stay up to like two in the morning and be like, do you remember this? And she's two years older than me. And I'm like, no. Yeah. And that's like trauma brain. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's just, it's, our brain is so beautiful because it wants us to to be safe mm-hmm. and it wants us to be protected. So yeah, I always share with my clients the difference between repression and suppression because mm-hmm. repression, it's not even in your conscious mind. Like it's a totally unconscious state of being. And suppression is when you choose to like, okay, I'm going to table this emotion to go have fun. Like if, yeah. if I had had a bump with my husband and maybe we're going out to dinner, and I'm like, I really want to have a great dinner. So I'm going to kind of table this emotion. I'm going to bring it up later. I'm definitely going to deal with it, mm-hmm. but just not right now. So I'm going to push it to the side. And so it's more of a conscious thing. So when you were with Kenny, how long ago was that? Oh you- my gosh. That was like 36 years ago. Okay. So then you have this like maybe even a little up. bit more. Could you then without getting into detail, but then all of a sudden it just comes back. Did you Everything. feel like you were freaking crazy? Yeah. It was so amazing, Karina, because I I remembered everything. Like it it like seriously like a tsunami. It just mm-hmm. plowed me. I had I could feel it in my body. I almost could like smell it. I could remember like all of the specific things that had happened to me. And so, sorry, I'll put a little PSA before this podcast, but yeah, did your father have something happen to him? I'm pretty confident now. One of the cool things that's come from my trauma is the relationships. Because I think when you have childhood trauma, it tends to make, well, it for most people, and it made me just feel weird. And I, I felt awkward with family members because of what it, what was going on in my childhood, right? And so I felt very separated and very distant from my family, even as I was a little girl growing up. Did you ever have reconciliation with your dad? So, okay, so kind of, it's kind of without telling like all the yeah, details. Yeah. yeah, and you did, you asked me about my dad. One of the things that came out of what I experienced was being close to a lot of my relatives as Mm -hmm. an adult. And so I have found out since then that there was a lot of like sexual abuse, alcoholism, Mm -hmm. a lot of like mental health issues in my dad's family. And also I want to say in my mom's family too, because I think she played a big part of me being molested too. Like she didn't protect me. There's like, that's like a whole nother story. But I think, yeah, my dad definitely had his own trauma. And never went through that. And never, yeah. Healing. Never. And And I did confront him. I actually, so when I was in college, there was a time after I saw the psychologist, I went to a support group. I started going to like different churches. I was kind of like having a spiritual, like I want more. There's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. And one, I didn't want to live. I shared with you, I think on World Mental Health Day, I had so many suicide ideations. I mean, the fact that I'm alive, I've heard you say this. Like, I'm like, Debbie, you go kick butt, girl, because you're alive and you're a survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, You have gone through so much. You've done the work. And 
you know, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing in our past is we, it's generational trauma. Yeah. And something with that, because I even know my grandparents and then my dad went through his own abuse with his parents and, you know, then the stuff that my sister and I have gone through with a schizophrenic and depressive mother and not having the yeah. mother figure. And for you, it's like, it's traumatic. You don't have your father figure. Like, that's your father. So, okay. Yeah. We know the story without sharing the full story, but let's talk about the healing and how we can stop the generational trauma and how we heal and we move forward. So you asked me if I confronted him, and so I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until after that tsunami day mm-hmm. that I describe, I went to my dad, and I gave him a heads up, like, hey, I need to talk to you about what you did to me. And of course, he's like, what, what did I do to you? You know, I'm like, how would you not know? Like, how could you be in such denial? So I went to my parents' home. My mom wasn't home. I also have a younger brother. No one was home. And we, my dad and I sat literally across the table, like the kitchen table from each other. And I shared with my dad, this is what you did to me. And he's, of course, denying the whole thing. But I extended forgiveness to him that day. And I said to him, I forgive you for what you did to me for Mm -hmm. eight years of my life. And he had like a stone look. He never gave one expression. He never apologized till the day he died. I think in 2002, he died when he was 69. Mm -hmm. And even the week of his death, I went to him again, like hoping and wanting to Mm -hmm. tell, to have him say, I forgive you. I said, dad, you know, I just want you to know I forgive you. And he was like, for what? And I'm thinking, how could you not know that? So what is that with your expertise in your work? What is that where he is not admitting to it in his mind? Is it his own suppression? Yeah. I think he was in denial so much. And he was an alcoholic. I think a lot of times when he molested me, he was drinking. Mm. And so, but I think the healing for me, honestly, was when I said, I forgive you. I talk a lot about forgiveness on this podcast because I think it's so important because it's not forgiving that person. It's for your own self. Yeah. Like I release that. hundred percent. I forgive it. I had a conversation with Zach Williams and he was like, oh, but then we were talking about forgiveness factory and then you keep allowing things to come in or you keep having situations where you need to forgive people again. Yeah. What's your thought on that? I think forgiveness is such a huge part of healing for me because there's so much shame. Oh my gosh. I think the reason I didn't talk about it was I felt I hated myself. Mm -hmm. And when you think, I've heard someone say this, that the word shame, it's self-hatred against me. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and there's like a breakdown, like word, like letter by letter, but it's self-hatred against myself. And I was like, and what that for extending forgiveness did for me was I'm not, like I was victimized. Mm-hmm. And I think for so long, I blamed myself. I was, a, I was in second grade when I remember my dad touching me inappropriately. And like, what does a second grader know about what sexuality? And, Correct. And yep. so I hated myself for so long. And now 
I think extending forgiveness just set me free, quite honestly. Yeah. And I, I thought, I'm a victim. I've been victimized. And I can take responsibility for my healing, but not for the trauma. Like mm-hmm. my dad, that was, I'm a mom. Like I'm married to an, an incredible man. I can't even imagine him doing the things to our daughter mm-hmm. or our son that, that were done to me. So forgiveness, and then comes, again, you mentioned the word, the healing. And so you went through therapy. Yeah, a few times, actually. (laughs) Yeah, and I love what you say, trainers need a trainer. Yeah. Yeah. No, trainers need a trainer, therapists need therapists. Like, we all need to, we're all walking ourselves through this, and we all need to hold each other's hand and support one another. And it's okay. I always say, like, I know I, for a while I'd be like, I can't tell anybody about my past. I can't tell anyone I have a personal trainer. Yeah. But then I'm like, no, I need somebody to get my ass out of bed and work totally out. Totally <laughs> rock it. Yeah. You need, yeah. But then, okay. So I would imagine, because I had, with dealing with my mom, I think I had a lot of trust with women yeah. and mother figures and such. And also with being able to trust someone to love again. Yeah. Because the relationship is so broken. And so me being the defiant little teenager (laughs) and still I'm a little defiant. But (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) But how to then go on to open your heart? Because I know a lot of listeners have been through a lot of trauma. Learn how to open your heart and trust a relationship again, especially for you, a male. Yeah. And then be married and have kids and act. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so grateful. So it's part of what I want to help my clients with. I always tell my clients, I want you to live your most beautiful life. Mm -hmm. And if I can work through my trauma, you can work through anything because I don't think I'm that strong. I don't think I'm that courageous. Like, you can do this. And so when I met my husband, I was terrified. I was so attracted to him. I was very drawn to him. We actually met in a Bible study group. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, there's no way that this individual, like, he's like this tall drink of water in my mind. I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to like someone like me. I'm dirty. Like, Mm. I've been vandalized in a sense, you know? Like, this, like, oh, he's just not going to want me. I'm not going to be desirable for him. And I, yeah, we both fell for each other. He kind of kept his distance for a few months. We built a really great friendship. And he really helped me open my heart, Mm. you know? Like, he really was, I'll be honest, like, we didn't have— like a sexual relationship until we got married. Mm -hmm. And that was really huge for me was to build a friendship on trust. And some people might go, oh my gosh, that's so weird or whatever. But that was, I always tell him even to this day, we've been married this year, will be 36 years. Mm -hmm. And I always tell him that was the best gift that he could have given me Mm -hmm. because he wasn't trying to just take from me and, Mm -hmm. and like, take advantage of the wounds, he helped me heal. And I remember one day we um, had like a date and he shows up at our date with this stack of books on sexual abuse. And he was trying to study and he's a scientist by, yeah. by degree. 
And he was trying to study and figure out how to help me. I love that. And let's go back, too, because when you guys first started dating, you didn't want to tell him about your past. And your friends were like, oh, you, you know, people yeah, around you are like, tell no, him. don't tell, don't tell. <laughs> exactly. But then yeah. you did, and yeah. then you learned from him, and we don't have to yeah, spill yeah. his business. But, like, you both came from trauma, and so it's yeah. opening up the silence that you realize that actually when people were like, don't tell, but yeah. when you share your story, it actually brought you closer together. So much closer. He grew up with a very abusive father, and his dad, like, disappeared when he was 12 years old. Mm. And so, yeah, I just remember thinking— oh my gosh, we're both wounded, Like, but we're going to help each other heal. And that's what I love even about being a therapist is that I get to witness people's wounds. And it's so important for married couples to do that. It's when I work with married couples, that's one of the things that I address is make sure that you guys, the two of you can witness the wounds that you each Mm. have. Now, not all husbands or wives are equipped to do that. And so mm-hmm. that's where therapy comes in, maybe a support group or having other friends that can help you. But it's so important, I think, for any relationship, for any person to be able to have your wounds witnessed by someone, mm-hmm. and especially in a marriage. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. And shout out, he was the only male that participated in breathwork and oh he gosh. fully <laughs> opened up. He's like, I have a few things to say. <laughs> he actually, I was so proud of him that day. Yeah. I can't even, we still talk about it because that was such, I mean, of course I'm a therapist. Like I've gone through so much of my own counseling. I've done, yeah. I'm working on myself every day, but you know, he's a scientist, not always like Right there emotionally. He's had to learn a lot. Poor guy. Um, But yeah, he's a rock star. He's amazing. I really have to lift him up. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you go through this trauma and how do you get into being a therapist? (laughs) So funny because I started off going to an art and fashion school and I (laughs) thought, I'm going to be a photojournalist and all these things. But, you know, I think God had a great plan for me, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think it was divine intervention because I was helped. I always say I had the most incredible people in my life helping me. The gratitude that I feel for people believing in me and helping me and guiding me, believing in me more than I ever believed in myself, really, I think, led me to, I want to be this for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Even if it's one person, I want to help someone heal like I've been healed. And so, yeah, I think that being a counselor is a long road. It's not an easy path if (laughs) people want to become a counselor, but it's been such a beautiful, beautiful gift that hopefully I can give back to my clients. And you absolutely do. You do to us, even at the big Mm. silence and just even everything you're contributing and what we're coming out with, the youth programming. So you have a program out for youth and we're intertwining that with the big silence and what we're launching this year. What made you want to focus on the youth? I think, you know, I've heard you say this too, Karina, is that you wish there are certain tools you wish you had when Mm -hmm. you were going through what you and Rachel went through with your mom. And I feel like that too. Like, where were the people? Like, where were the family members that could have said something? Mm -hmm. 
and there wasn't. There, I mean, I, I remember the first time I heard about the word incest or childhood sexual abuse. I was, I think, a junior in high school, and my psychology teacher was talking about it. And then a girl in my class started talking about how I think it was her stepdad had just been arrested for sexual abuse. And I remember thinking, I don't want other kids to go through this. I want to have conversations with my clients, my young, especially youth, so that they feel safe to talk about traumatic things or things that are hard for them. What would be your number one step? For someone who perhaps thinks they are experiencing trauma or memory. Yeah. And, but they don't know and don't know how to speak up or get help and like are very unsure. I can imagine it being very confusing. Like, what would the first step be? I think if there is someone safe in their life to talk, to get it out. I think now there are definitely, I know you guys have the crisis hotline. I think Mm -hmm. that it would even be a safe place because it's confidential, totally confidential. Just to point out, you can text HERO, H-E-R-O, to 741-741-247 hours a day, completely confidential. That's incredible. Like, had I even known about a hotline, I'm pretty confident I would have called someone because I didn't know who, I felt so lost. And so again, back to the shame and just how I felt about myself. Like I didn't know who could understand this, who wouldn't think it's my fault. There's just so many questions you have when you're experiencing trauma. But yeah, I think if they have a thought, like find somebody safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think about that. Like I had like a teacher, I had two teachers, an art teacher Mm -hmm. and an English teacher, and they both let me skip class all the time (laughs) and just hang out with them. I love that. (laughs) I'd end up okay skipping all my classes and blah, blah, blah. But I like finding someone that you trust who just wants to listen to you, whether it's a teacher, a school counselor, crisis text line, a friend's parent, anything. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely just... Raise your voice. Yeah, I was just thinking, why didn't I tell a teacher? My dad was actually the captain of our sheriff's department. So, like, my dad was pretty well-known. Like, he was a pretty, like, in our community, a pretty powerful guy. Yeah. So, I was thinking, who doesn't know him or where would a safe place be to tell somebody? Yeah. Well, let's move on to another (laughs) light, light subject. I know. It's a heavy topic. Grief. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You have lost both parents. Yeah. And grief. And so I've been, Bobby and I actually are in couples therapy now in no shame in that game. No, like That's awesome. Yeah. I commend you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I'm in couples therapy. But then I talk oh. to like everyone I work with. My friends are like, oh yeah, I've been married like 36, 40 years. Like it, this is Everyone perfect. should be in therapy. Okay. I mean, to have an hour conversation with someone objectively. Yeah. Yeah. It's a win-win. Yeah, my therapist that we're seeing now, she also, not just with couples, but she also is, specializes in grief. And I think that it, there's been a lot of learning for us, too, to understand the dynamic of me and my mother and losing her in wow. grief. Yeah. And how, and she was saying that, her name is Lori, and how, like, year two of grief is actually worse than year one. Wow. But anyway, so yeah. advice on grief, I feel like we're... 
in a time where there is a lot of grief, not only from getting older and losing our parents, but then the pandemic and suicide rates are high and fentanyl and all these things. Let's talk about grief. Grief, in my mind, is the emotion that is talked about the least in our society. Mm -hmm. And grief is... It, you're right, it's rampant, and it's something that we experience a lot, but we're not taught. Like, when you think about back again to the youth, like, we're not taught as kids how to deal with grief or any emotion, but I think in particular, grief is such a hard emotion to address because, like, our culture doesn't even know what to do with it. Like, our society doesn't teach us to grieve. I think there's a lot of cultures that teach grief so much better than we do. Mm -hmm. And so grief to me is an emotion that we don't like to address or experience. It's uncomfortable. We all have a journey with grief. We all grieve so differently. And I always tell my friends who are grieving, I I have a couple of friends recently who, one, her husband has a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Another one just lost a mom. Another friend just lost a dad. And I always say, Don't compare your grief to anybody else. Yeah. You grieve how you want to grieve, but grieve, definitely grieve. And it's a journey, I think, for each of us that we can't compare ourselves to other people. And we tend to do as a society. Of course, with social media and this and that. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the tips of. Okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm a trauma survive. Um, what did you say? It was not survivor. Um, well, a thriver. Thriver. Trauma <laughs> thriver. I am a thriver. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I know that you believe that physical health and mental health go hand in hand, as I do too. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that a little more. Yeah. So I always tell my clients address the big things. Mm-hmm. Like if you have trauma, if there's something you need to work through work on those. And then the maintenance things in my mind are, and and I did, I got certified a few years ago as a personal trainer mm-hmm. because, and I became a nutrition coach because mental health isn't just dealing with emotions. That's a huge, huge component. Mm-hmm. But the maintenance part is move your body every single day back to like self-hatred. Mm-hmm. Let's give up the self-hatred from your trauma or whatever you've experienced and let's love ourselves. And so that's maintaining the smaller things, right? Like moving your body, um, eating nutritiously. I love home-cooked meals, mm-hmm. um, organic if you can, but the highest quality foods that you can. Have best friends, have relationships, have friendships. Like do things that you enjoy, live out your passion. Those are all ways that I think we do the like the minimal things, like the smaller things every single day. Yeah. The things to be consistent in. And isn't that so simple? It's like, okay, move your body, meditate, <laughs> drink water. Oh, yeah. Hydrate. Hydrate affects your mental health. Yeah. Um, and yeah, healthy foods. Vitamin D, like, sunshine. Yeah, sunshine. Being in nature. Yes. It's like the simplest thing. And everyone's talking about it now. It's like, Finally. (laughs) Finally. No, and I used to see my clients. I I had like a conference room table um, where my first office was, and my clients would come in and have like fast food 
and they would tell me how they needed to get to the gym. And that's kind of what prompted me to go. And I thought, I need to get some certifications and training and figure out how do all of these things impact our mental health, like even our vitamin D levels. Like, how does having an optimal vitamin D level impact your mental health? And so, yeah, my clients would come in with all these fast food. And I haven't had Chick-fil-A or any, like, fast food. I haven't eaten at McDonald's and things like that for, like, six years, maybe. And so, yeah, I'm like, give up the fast food. Cook home-cooked meals if you can. High-quality foods. Home-cooked meals are very therapeutic, as if you follow me on Instagram. Yes, you've been cranking. I'm I'm, proud of you. Right? I know, but— Yeah, we're going to—Rachel and I are going to make another home-cooked meal tonight. I love it. I love it just to, like, cutting the onions or the vegetables. It's so therapeutic, right? Yeah. Yeah, Versus just, like, I mean, I do love French fries, but— Yeah, oh, well, come on. (laughs) I mean, I could eat a whole pizza myself, so, yeah. I mean, you have those moments, but, like, what we eat definitely affects our mental health. Yeah. So that that might sound— like a big task for someone starting mm. from the beginning of not feeling well, not feeling healthy. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I have to move my body. I have to meditate. I have to drink water. I have to do yeah. this. And, and it's like, usually the last thing we want to do when we don't feel well emotionally. Right. So baby steps. Yeah. How would you do that? I mean, I love what you said, even just drink water. That was actually one of my New Year's goals. And someone was like harassing me like, oh yeah, like, New Year's goal, drink more water. Um, Like, yeah, like Debbie's dealt with all the big stuff. And I was like, no, that's so huge because we forget to drink water. Like hydration is so important. I think just take one thing at a time. You know, if you can move your body, if you can get outside and take a walk in nature for 10 minutes. Yeah. Do Doesn't that. have to be moving your body for an hour. No. Even my trainer, she's like, I know you're always 15 minutes late because you don't want to work out for a full hour. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I love that. But yeah. she's also the baby steps. Like, when I'm in a funk, she's like, can you get in your car and drive to the gym? I said, yeah. She's like, we'll sit on the it. couch. Yeah. We'll just talk. I love it. And sometimes that's exactly what you need. Yeah. But then I end up moving my body. And then I'm like, okay, thank you. But it's just like <laughs> overwhelmed. But even yeah. so my yeah. with my New Year's goals, I have a calendar and I write down, okay, and there's like little check boxes for five, seven days a week. <laughs> five, <laughs> how many days are in a week? <laughs> and, I love it. And I'm like, meditate, move my body, mm. go in the cold plunge, uh, drink water, do this. Yeah. And I, I, but at the top, I don't, tell myself I have to do it seven days a week. I say four times a week. These are my goals to yeah. do these things. And then it's yeah. more achievable because if you just like overwhelm yourself, then you just are like, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you end up probably not doing it yeah. because it's so overwhelming yeah. and you're not motivated. You don't know where to start. So yeah, start small. Just do something like something little. And then therapy because I'm a true believer in therapy, been in it, in and out of it, and back in again. And I have wonderful therapists, psychiatrists, life coaches, everything, spiritual psychologists. And I think it's so important to have a team. But let's talk about how therapy is not always affordable. Yeah. And covered by insurance. (laughs) It's always the number one conversation. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's so many different therapists, right? We know there's so many different modalities. So finding the right therapist for you is also what you can afford. And so I just found out, I know some therapists who charge $250 an hour. I've never done that personally because 
I've been there. I was the poor, starving college student who had a couple pro bono sessions with a counselor, a couple of times, actually. And so I think it's important to find someone in your price range. I know for me, I don't take insurance because I don't give my clients a diagnosis. Just kind of a personal conviction I have. I have people who come to me 15 years ago were diagnosed with depression. And as much as I know that labels are helpful and good and appropriate at times, I don't want my clients to Mm -hmm. hang their whole life on a label. I'm depressive. That's it. Yes. Right. A diagnosis does not make your life. Like that is not who you are. It does not define you. I teach it as their symptoms. Let's get to the root. Let's dig. Let's get to the bottom. So I think find a therapist that's in your price range. Or um, I had somebody who reached out to me yesterday. They need to take insurance. So, you know, I can refer them to someone else who does take insurance. Um, So, yeah, I think just find out, find someone who fits in your budget because it's so funny. I mean, I've been a counselor for 30 years, but you know, I charge a different rate than maybe someone who's been, who has less experience. So it depends really what's important to you. And if insurance is important to you, definitely find someone on your plan. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, well, two things. I don't, um, a lot of people don't realize that in their company insurance, because even at Tone It Up, it is 100% covered mental health and zero deductible. Wow. And nice. I'm, I was like, wait, we're not even telling our employees that. Yeah. Number two, because if you don't have a therapist who takes insurance, which is very common, the big silence. We have a therapy for all program. It's amazing. Yeah. And we're trying to help those. And there's an application on our website where you can apply wow. for a scholarship. And we have had, you know, I don't, you know, client or whatever you want to say, our community get therapy when they could not afford it and their insurance didn't cover it. So that's one of our biggest things. Yeah. Go big silence. Yeah. That's amazing, Karina. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Debbie, any last (laughs) thoughts, inspiration, any inspiration? Because I see you and you like come to the house and you like bring all the Pomeranians toys. You always (laughs) show up with a gift. You're so happy and cheerful and grateful. And like you've been through it all. You are not a victim. You are thriving. You have this beautiful family. Maybe any inspiration for someone who is feeling stuck? Live your most authentic life. Be authentic to yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't worry about other people. Do your healing, definitely. Please heal. And I always think if you do the work, if you're healing, you're going to be the light that other people need. And we need a lot of light in this world right now. We do. So be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Debbie. And if you want to find Debbie, everything's in the show notes. Appreciate you so much. I appreciate you too. Yeah, this has been such a joy. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. 
Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in.